G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz. This is episode number 71 of the Outback Mind podcast. Have you ever wanted to chase the big dollars and become a, a fly in, fly out worker? Sounds great. Um, good money and so forth in it, uh, gets you away from home, you uh, live with a few boys, it's a bit of fun for a while, but then after a while, um, your mental health can, can decline considerably. Um, it's good for a young bloke, you know, to be able to, to, to go and uh, to earn some big dollars and uh, chase, chase that while they're young to be able to set themselves up, but many fall into the trap of going in and drinking too much and spending all their dough when they get home. There's very few that actually are really wise about uh, pocketing it and, uh, and putting it uh, to a, into a good resource, I suppose. Now, Lockie Samuel uh, is today's guest. He's uh, an ex-Fly and Fly Out worker, and he started up an organisation called Fly and Fly Out Happiness um, and also runs a podcast about uh, trying to help uh, support Fly and Fly Out workers. Lockie's really passionate about it. Um, we're going to have a pretty deep and meaningful conversation about this because I am as well. I was flying guys in and out for a long time um, uh, myself, uh, and I, I know uh, the trials and tribulations that I saw. But also me personally, I was I was flying around the country uh, for work a lot and um, staying in different beds consistently, and I know how that affected me. So uh, yeah, really uh, really grateful for Lockie coming along and, and sharing. Um, his wisdom and knowledge around uh, what's happening in the fly and fly out scene, and you know, if any of you are considering going and doing that, maybe some of the conversation or some parts of the conversation that we're going to have may um, may benefit your decision making with regards to um, what it is and why it is you're trying to achieve it. And if you do go in and do it, you know, plan it out so it actually works for you rather than against you. So, hope you enjoy our chat. Just want to make special mention to our primary partners. Green Nutritionals, Green Organic Superfoods. Great if you are a fly and fly out worker because they can give you stability with regards to your, your nutrition but also um, grounding for your mental well-being. So please check out their website, greennutritionals.com.au and also Pure Life Bakery who make organic sprouted breads. Bread that loves you back. It's really good stuff. So it digests better than um, the normal bread. It's sprouted so it actually is... Uh, much better for our digestion. So please check out the website, purelifebakery.com.au. Alrighty, let's get Lockie on. I hope you enjoyed Lockie and I going at it and uh, appreciate your feedback after this one. Lockie Samuel, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity, brother. No worries. And I think you might be the first Kiwi that's been on. So uh, well done. Yes. <laughs> Might be the start of a few more. If you can line up Richard Hadley for me, I'd be grateful. <laughs> I'd be grateful myself if I got to talk to Richard Hadley, man. Yeah, probably, probably not going to happen. Or even the New Zealand Prime Minister. I'm a big fan of hers. So um, <laughs> if you can handle that for me. We've never had any women on here before, but uh, if you could do that for me, mate, that'd be great. Done. <laughs> All right, mate. Now, um, I was really keen to talk to you, Lockie, because you know you, you're doing some great stuff over there to support fly and fly out workers in WA and beyond, and 
it's something that's really close to me because I sort of managed men for a long time and um, I saw a lot of men get broken with regards to their work, you know, what their work was actually doing to their to their lives and their mental health and their physical health and their marriages and all those sorts of things, you know, all the important things in life and what you're doing, um, you know, is being able to sort of, you know, create a calm understanding for, for people that are in that environment to be able to be a bit more self-aware and, you know, I want to talk a lot about this pod in, in this podcast with you about the, the, the fours and against of doing fly and fly and fly out work. A lot of guys get themselves financially strapped and then they think they can go into the mines and, uh, and earn big dollars and solve their problems. But usually that, um, that sort of snowballs and you get used to the money and all of a sudden you're on this hamster wheel and, and not really getting too far unless you're smart about it. So can you give us a bit of an idea of your own background, mate, and sort of, you know, where life sort of took you to be able to, you know, I suppose you worked fine for, for a while yourself, but why you become passionate about this and why why you think it's so necessary? Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, like you said, there, there are a lot of uh, fours and against, but I guess my story highlights, you know, both sides of those and uh, at 19, uh, as someone who was a narcissistic cheater, uh, who was addicted to seeing alcohol, like alcoholic big time, to cover up my emotion, which I wasn't aware of at the time, but I got caught out cheating on, on my partner with my best friend's partner. Mm. And instead of take responsibility as a 19-year-old and have those hard conversations, I chose to run away from Auckland and uh, New Zealand to Kalgoorlie, of all places, mm-hmm. where my big brother was working. So... You know, that that person with all that baggage running away from his shame, running away from guilt, running away from all the stuff in childhood, landed in Kalgoorlie and now instead of you know, making 500 bucks a week as a, a plumbing drain-laying apprentice, working 50, 60 hours a week, I'm now uh, in two weeks an advanced scaff bro making 2K driving in and out of cow. And so uh, I thought I was, you know, the bee's knees. I thought I was enough because I was working with the boys, free food, free gym, free accommodation and making more money than anyone in my family. Mm. Uh, so I just continued all those patterns that I had back home, got worse, um, met someone and we eventually moved to Perth. But in moving to Perth, we had uh, no no network, no friends, no support. So every time I left, my partner would you know cry and tell me that she was struggling and that got to the point where she... Uh, was threatening and big trigger warning here like big trigger warning if, if this is too much just mm. take a step back and do some breathing into your belly and recenter mm. um but you know she turned into someone or she she went through about a depression and ended up threatening to take her life unless i stopped mm. and like so many guys that do fly float who haven't come from money when you are getting that money it's very easy to identify with being someone who makes that money, who works that hard, who's with all the boys, who gets free food, free gym, and all the, the extras and bonuses that come along with FIFO. So, mm. man, I didn't stop. I was still that narcissist, still that selfish uh, little kid inside. And so eventually she attempted, man, and you know I still didn't stop. And looking back now, it's crazy to think that I was telling myself I loved her, but, you know, she just attempted to take her life and mm. I didn't even have enough compassion and empathy to stop my swing and go home instead I um, extended that swing and you know she ended up leaving which is 
so grateful for. She probably wouldn't be here and I'd still be that same person. But mm. that man, I spiraled pretty hard, like losing that identity of being the guy in the relationship, losing that validation I had from a partner who could tell me my, my dick was big enough or <laughs> that I was handsome or that what I was doing was good enough and spiraled pretty hard, went through depression, um, my own attempt, uh, and eventually just had to work myself back up until I felt grounded and you know, I got to a point where I thought I had all the tools and my tool belt where I thought it was solid, nothing could knock me off center. And so I went back to FIFO again, a second stab, <laughs> and um, within three months, making more money than I'd ever made, back with the boys, had purpose again, had drive. Uh, one of the bros up there took his life. Mm. Um, that started the conversation that he was, he was a pussy, he was a fag, mm. he didn't deserve to, to be alive if he did that. Mm. Um, and me as a closet attemptee, uh, I spiraled pretty hard and, Eventually, just walked off my job one day and got evacuated for being suicidal mm. from that site. And so, not like it needs anymore, but not too long after that, one of my good friends up there, you no, know, very smiley, outgoing dude, very happy externally, but um, obviously not, not true, not authentic, because he took his life as well. Mm. And um, for me, back then, I had so much shame around not being open with the fact that I'd attempted. And I, f I felt like if I had have been open and vulnerable, he wouldn't have taken his life. And so I carried so much shame from that that I didn't even attend his, his funeral. Mm. Um, and, I'm, I mean, talking, when we go into onto sites and, you know, I, I share the story at every site I go to, but we go into sites, people hear the name, Fight for Happiness, and we generally get met with, oh, so you're going to make us happy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I turn up and share something dark like this. Um, but it's important, uh, I believe, understand the darkness to appreciate the light and to you know, understand the ebbs to really, truly be grateful for the flows, um, the dualistic nature of life, you know, the good and the bad, the good, the good and the evil. Mm. So the good for me, now that we've been over the dark, is that, um, since being evacuated, I released a, a mental health podcast which went top 10 in Australia and New Zealand mm. a couple of years ago, and that sort of just snowballed unintentionally into all these opportunities with mining companies hearing my story, mm. um, bringing me into work with their with their teams. And now that's what I do full-time with FIFO Happiness, partnered with a, an amazing organisation called Happiness Co., mm. um, Created the FIFO Mental Health Summit, the first one in Australia. Got an amazing committee, and we launched the Association for Mental Health and Mining on August 12th. So, Jeez, mate. yeah, it's what a turnaround! <laughs> what a turnaround! You, you, yeah, it's... <laughs> I was going to say, you should be proud of yourself. I, I'd like to, Lockie, how old are you now? Call ended. Oh, hang on, Lockie's lost it. Got you back. So how old are you now, Lockie? Uh, I'm 30, man. So you were going through all the, the ups and downs of this between, say, 20 and mid-20s or? Yeah, I'd, I'd say from about, I mean, I was narcissistic and had those addictions from about 17. So mm -hmm. 17 until, yeah, maybe about two years ago, I really worked through a lot of, a lot of my childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. 
Can you can you take us through that, mate? What was it? How? What did it look like that made you behave that way? Yeah, and I it's I very rarely get asked that, man. It's it, and I love that you've asked that because I believe context is king, and when we have context around why someone behaves the way they do, it's so much easier to have empathy and compassion for them, and not just brand them as a dickhead because they behave a certain way, right? Yes, hundred percent. So, <laughs> So for, for me, man, um, at about six, my my dad had, um, oh, I was just in the bathtub and I remember him, you know, this guy who's running the homicide squad in, in Auckland, running into the bathroom and grabbing my head and just holding my head underwater and it, and it just didn't stop. And I guess in in that moment with him trying to drown me in the bathtub, you know, that's my, that was my hero. That's mm. the guy I loved the most. That was my best friend. Mm. And so I remember hiding under the sheets, hiding under the covers of my bed that night and just being so petrified of him um, and built up this belief or, or created this story that, like, I'm not enough for him. That's why he did that. And over time, that slowly become, without me being aware of it, like, I'm, I'm not enough for other people and ultimately I'm not enough for myself. And so... Mm. From eight to ten, um, I was sexually abused as well from from a family friend. Uh, included porn, included him telling me like my my thing's not as big as the other boys, so I had that severe inferiority complex around the sides of my dick, mm. and um, had a porn addiction since I was eight. And the last the last time it happened, man, I remember being in this this tin shower and it's hot, and he's like, "Man, we got to stop. People are going to think we're gay." Mm. And so from that moment on, not, not, not really understanding what was happening and not, not understanding the context or, or what that meant about me, I made that mean that because I close my eyes and see stuff happening, um, see him doing stuff to me specifically, that there's a chance I was gay. And so, mm. you know, without knowing, not being conscious about it, I was going out to, as that narcissistic cheater, going out to prove that, Number one, my, my dick was good enough. Like, I didn't have to be a porn star with a 12-inch wang to, to please a woman and because I'd see that stuff and think I was questioning if I was gay or not, not mm. that there's anything wrong with being gay. Mm. Um, I had to prove that I wasn't. And so that just manifested itself as me just constantly seeking attention from as many women as possible mm. all the time. Like, that's, that's what my life revolved around. Um, and so, you know, I just played out those patterns and, and it all stems from, I guess, that moment with my dad, that not enoughness and all these different moments, including my first, you know, childhood sweetheart when I gave her a letter and just having parents that loved each other and being modeled that relationship where they hold hands, they're loving, they look after each other. I remember writing her a letter as a 15 year old about I love you, we're going to have babies and and buy a house and get married. And then she broke up with me because I was too much and went out with my best friend. And so mm. that just another moment that validated to me that I wasn't worthy, that it wasn't okay to have this big open heart um, and that it wasn't okay to be emotional and based and somewhat in the feminine and that emotion. So, mm. yeah, I just become this closed-off, cold-hearted narcissist, man. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, one thing I'd like to say is it's safe to feel your heart. And, and, and we really, 
we really get disconnected from that, particularly as, as young people um, with regards to some form of trauma. Yours was uh, you know, very severe, obviously. Um, we come into adult life really confused and we want to try and do what we can to prove ourselves to, uh, to work against the things that we were told or the things that we believed when we were younger. And you know, we're, we're really tied up in knots until we actually start to be vulnerable enough to talk about what had happened. And then to be able to, you know, move through that openly and honestly with compassion for ourselves because none of that trauma was your fault, Lockie. And one of the things that would come to me then was obviously your dad was maybe going through some form of depression himself, um, you know, which, which caused him to behave that way. And, you know, back then he would not have known how to, to manage it. Um, I suppose the, the, he was working for the government, I guess, as a police officer and, um, they were probably not putting interventions in place then on how to manage their people very well. So he was acting out, probably using drugs or alcohol or something to, to numb uh, some of the trauma that he was experiencing. But you know, we, we go back further, like he's probably taking things on from his dad and so forth. And you need to be really proud of yourself because you've got an opportunity now to, to break that cycle, mate. Yeah, and I feel like I am, man. And uh, my my father and I have had a pretty up and down relationship, like a lot of love there, but a lot of tension too. Like we always butt heads. We're so similar to each other. And um, actually four or five days ago they left. They, they've been in Perth for about a month. And in that whole month we probably had two interactions that were like standoffish. Mm. And on both occasions I realised that was me being defensive in myself um, with him just based on our relationship growing up and in those moments like following that I got to take ownership and apologise to him and uh, let him know I'll do what I can to, to keep continuing like to change and make progress so that our, can re- our relationship can progress but mm. being by far the best time we've we've ever had together and so much love and respect there so mm. so yeah he, he has gone he did go through a lot as a kid a lot of childhood trauma so much uh, worse, worse than mine. But um, what he's done with his life and the man he's become, like I'm really proud of as well, as as well as being proud of myself. Mm, absolutely, mate. That that's so tremendous to hear that you can actually have uh, open conversations with your dad now. And a lot of guys don't have the ability to be able to do that. Their, their fathers are very hardened, and uh, they won't uh, they won't interact at that level. Um, but I guess, Lockie, if you if you sat in a if you stood in front of a room of a hundred guys when you were doing a talk in the workplace, what percentage would you think would have some form of childhood trauma that they were actually hanging on to? Uh, I'd say every single one of them, man. Mm. You mm. know, I don't know if the people in the room would agree because I guess it's down to how aware are you of your past. Do you detach or dissociate? Um, from it but yeah I'd say every single one of them and trauma doesn't have to look like something intense <laughs> like mm. like what we've been through mm. it could be something as simple as your your parent closing you off closing down your opinion uh, making you feel like unseen and heard unsafe yep. in whatever way so yep. I'd say everyone man yeah absolutely and it can be minor like that which can really stay with you it's cellular and you know, I wouldn't say whether you've been put down by your parents, but whether you've been undermined in many ways, not been able to grow or given the nurturing that you need and, and that resentment stays with you and, 
then that resentment uh, turns into behaviours where a young man would maybe look as if they're cocky like you did and um, yep. you would see it all the time in the workplaces I did as well when I when I was sort of managing lots of guys and so forth. And um, knowing what I know now, I, I have compassion with uh, with regards to those people and those, and those behaviours. And um, being able to actually have one-on-one conversations with them to unlock what's going on for them can really help them uh, with their growth and... Um, and actually, like getting some some diversion in their life, so their their behaviours and um, their self awareness um, improves. Would you agree? Yeah, man. It's and I, th- I think that takes a lot of awareness, a lot of practice and repetition to be someone who can act from compassion when someone's behaving poorly or destructively, or um, you know, just at some level hurting themselves or others repeatedly it's it takes a lot of work to be someone who can show up from compassion because it's it's so much easier just to judge someone or to project onto them or to blame them or whatever mm. so man big ups for for being someone in that position yeah yeah it is the, and that that's the way that we're we're educated i guess you know it's similar in new zealand like you are meant to be competitive and comparative and judgmental and that or not meant to be but that's that's what's programmed into you um, yep. just through the way that we sort of come through life and the judgments and expectations and so forth that are put onto us. And then we find ourselves looking externally for happiness through material things and through partners and without actually really knowing ourselves and knowing our heart, you know. Uh, once we know ourselves well enough and we're actually aware to be able to understand where our thoughts, feelings or emotions are going and the average man uh, does not have that sort of self-awareness and um, it takes time to, to heal some of the things that have held them back and it take, takes a bit of work to actually do that. And I, I guess, you know, we're slowly seeing some change there where we're having a conversation now about this sort of stuff, whereas five to ten years ago we would not have been brave enough to actually do so. And, um, you know, with regards to the work you're doing, it's hard, mate. Like, you... You're working in, in, in hot, tough conditions consistently, 12-hour shifts, you're going home, you're having a full belly of food, you're going to bed and you're doing it again. It's really working against the, the cycle of human nature, you know. So there's yeah. got to be compassion with regards to that. Like these guys are getting thrown out of their rhythm and once they're out of their rhythm, then their, their, their poor lifestyle behaviour uh, and their patterns will start to reappear and this is where um, you know a guy can get lost because if he's doing a seven on seven off uh, a swing, for example, he's going home. It takes him two or three days for his nervous system to get back to, to normal again, and then he has a yep. couple of good days, and then he goes back to work. So at work again, he's on this sort of cycle, and um, we don't really um, pay enough attention to that, I, I guess, and uh, and that has a big effect on on the home life, on the on the wife, on the kids, and so forth. And I know for myself. Um, when I was flying around the country a lot for work, I'd get home and I was really buggered and um, I just couldn't be myself. I couldn't give enough of myself because I'd been giving the whole time and my whole nervous system needed a, needed a reboot. Is, is that common? Yeah, man. I think the one thing that we've identified in the last year or so is that uh, not enough, you know, particularly men, it's a male-dominated industry still, mm. particularly men don't know how to communicate or don't know number one, don't know what their values or their needs are. So if they don't know what their values are, they don't know how to show up in alignment with them. Mm. So they have real no map, no guides, though. Um, and then as a part of that, if you don't know what your values are, 
you don't know how you expect um, yourself to show up in the world, mm. then how do other people know how to show up for you? And so without those values, we can't set boundaries from a place of love. And then from there, it's like, how do I express my needs? Like, how do I tell my partner that when I come home, I'm not driving home from the airport. I'm not looking after the kids. You're not giving them to me to look after for the night I need, you know, that night and maybe the next day to reboot, to mm. rest, relax, to, you know, somewhat on some level regulate my nervous system and transition back to being the dad, the partner, the whatever I am when I'm home. Um, and I feel like if if we built enough awareness around that and gave people the tools to communicate clearly from a, a place of love, mm. um, it would be so much easier because we'd have so much more understanding and we could both, you know, partner and, and the person flying away. When we're together again at home, we could work as a team rather than two people from, you know, separate spaces trying to merge. Yeah, absolutely. That That's right, Lockie. We have... We have we have this innate knowing within all of us, all of us as humans, to be able to, to come well, to, to know what that center is and that 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 heart space, that that feeling of love can be really masked over consistently. But I believe there's a there's a duty or an opportunity in the workplace for heart based leadership. So people that are trained and educated on how to support their people from a functional space, so they can actually go and perform their jobs, not only safely but also psychologically safely, safe, safely. To be able to feel, um, uh, I suppose, acknowledged, uh, cared for, and so forth in the workplace. When they actually go home, then that rehabilitative uh, time is actually like fast tracked because they're actually going back feeling quite good and 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 understood. Um, and yeah, we certainly we have a, a really funny system, uh, unfortunately, still in the workplace that's still quite behind. I, I think in many ways and. I, I really believe we, we've sort of um, we've touched on it. Things are changing, but there's still a long way to go. And a lot of the, the big organisations that are you know have have plenty of money um, really should have a, a good think about investing more in in this because using people as a commodity just to do a job and and, and get a return um, you know uh, to the bottom line just through the productivity is one thing, but also to get a return on the uh, emotional capital of the individual so they can keep engaged with the organisation because they know that they're loved and cared for by uh, the employer, I think is so much more um, undervalued than what it possibly could be. Would you agree? Yeah, a really good example of that, man, is in twenty start of 2019, I think it was, when COVID come in, or maybe it started last year. Yeah, start of last year, we had these big contracts with... Um, some big oil and gas, a big oil and gas provider here. And when it come crunch time for COVID and they're like, oh, having those meetings in their big towers and they're saying, look, our ships are, are stopped, they're quarantined. Um, we don't know when they're going to come back, so we're going to have to cut costs. Um, essentially, we were told that mental health is a non-essential non expense. And so, you know, for, for a company that had had um, off the books probably close to six suicides, and that's why we were being brought in to cut that immediately was, I guess, just highlighted to me how um, non-essential we're viewed as we being like mental health in general for mining. Mm. Yeah, mate, I'm, I'm, I'm saddened to hear that. 
back in 2003, I saw the need, I was working with, uh, I was supplying labour to a lot of large organisations, but also small to medium enterprise, which were well behind the radar, but health and safety was significant with regards to, you know, putting dollars and uh, and stuff into into that to make making sure that people were safe so they didn't hurt themselves so the claims wouldn't come in. But I saw the, the gap then for workplace wellbeing. Um, this was, you know, almost 20 years ago. We've come a bit of a way, but we've still got such a long way to go. Um, yeah. And I just feel that... Um, yeah, you, you, you're doing such a good thing with regards to what you are doing now because employees will be more aware. And I suppose when employees are more aware, then they'll have a choice. And then the organisations that are doing this well, they'll they'll recruit the, the, the good people because they'll know they're looked after there. And that's probably more valuable than getting an extra, you know, maybe a couple of, couple of hundred dollars a week um, in the pay packet, I guess, because... The, uh, the emotional side of uh, employment is so much more powerful, I believe, than the, uh, the monetary side. And, you know, the monetary side disconnects you. You know, you, you guys are going into the workplace, they're, they're, they're getting dollars there, they're spending it on material things, but the emotional capital and so forth um, and the return on investment from that, from an employer's um, perspective, needs to be addressed and probably given more attention because we've still, you know, as I said, got a long way to go with regards to that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Big time. Mm, That's interesting. What are some of the things that you've observed since you've been in this space? So it's been a two-year journey for you so far. Uh, What are some of the things that you're that you're experiencing when you go in and speak in the workplace? Are you getting uh, like good feedback and, and, and uh, support from the employer? Are they just getting you in to tick a box and then um, see you later? We might contact you again in a, in a few months or a year or two. Uh, with, the, with the bigger companies, it's a bit harder to, to go in and do our thing, I guess, what, what we like doing to the depth that we want to do it to because it's so... Um, they operate on that risk mitigation level, so it's very hard to, to go in and, you know, show up in, in my fullness as someone who wants to help men with men's work and women with women's work mm. and go to a depth where they understand their emotion and, and why they're doing what they're doing. So so a lot of with the big companies, it's, it's team building, it's morale, it's creating cohesion and helping communication, whereas with the, some of the smaller companies, we get to do what I love to do and... You know, we have these smaller groups where they're more intimate and and a lot of the guys start off really defensive. Nearly everything we do, it starts off defensive because, mm. you know, you get you get told someone's coming up for mental health, that's one thing, but they're coming up and they're in fresh new uniform looking like someone from the office in the city. It's like immediately this us versus them, who's this peanut? Yep. What are they going to try and tell me to do? So yeah. um, eventually after I tell my story and, you know, we interact and engage with them, those defences come down and we get pretty raw and pretty real. And um, every every workshop we've done, we've had at least one one man cry mm. afterwards and open up about something he's never shared before. So, yeah. yep. I mean, a really good example is we went on tour last year around WA and the first time we spoke, uh, the first time I spoke on that tour, within the first one minute, this old bloke, bandana on, big beard, big goatee, arms crossed, just goes, shut up, cunt, or something like that. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. And, and I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I'll just roll with it and keep doing what I do and see what happens after. And he gave me the finger wave after and 
shook my hand and said thank you, like really genuinely. And then when I seen him out by his road train, he came over and had a big cry and just opened up and gave me his his life story. And mm. yeah, man, it's I think from from that moment I realised, wow, like what we're doing is really powerful because we're not just connecting with them, but we're giving them permission to, at on some level, be or take a step towards themselves the authentic self what what you talk about the heart and ultimately love love for self so you you look at that man mate you look at your dad uh, similar very similar i'd say in many ways like your dad may may not have been uh you know covered in armor like that particular individual but there's been something underneath which is which is uh, caused the behavior you know and and this guy very is very that that's very very common i've had experiences like that myself um so you know we quite often see guys that are externally looking so strong but internally they're they're very very uh unsupported because they haven't actually been able to look at why their behavior um is the way that it is uh and they're probably beautiful men in many ways but there's something underneath that which hasn't been healed um so you know, I just, I just really believe, Lockie, um, this is one of my, my strong passions is the workplace has got such a tremendous opportunity to be able to help uh, individuals to become more aware, conscious, connected, compassionate, kind, all these sorts of things, these higher levels of human consciousness, rather than, you know, just being distracted. And if you can provide a workplace which is strong and supportive and nourishing of the people then everything takes care of itself. It's not rocket science. Um, you know, you become rebellious and then you start to jump ship and all these sorts of things because you're not supported. And it's our innate human nature as men and as, as humans in general is to, to want to, you know, be connected and supported and so forth. And if you're with, a, with an employer that's really valuing you and supporting you, then, you know, that's such a, a gift. And, um I just think, yeah, we're at the start of something now. If, if organisations are, are keen to do something, then uh, then the return's going to be significant. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, I don't think people understand how simple it can be. Um, one of the I've, – I've, I've gone through our whole process and our model and our client journey and what we deliver over a 12-month partnership, and um, I've made the first step, leaders go first, and then the second step – um, regulate your nervous system or mm. corporate lingo peak, peak performance <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then the next step down is feel and, and that's really just learning how to feel what it's like to experience an emotion and its fullness in your body and I don't think people understand how, how simple it can be to feel that and how much of a shift and change that will create not just in the individual but in the organisation as a whole um, in that entire you know entity or organism it's, you know, as soon as we drop into the body and detach from the mind, because we can't experience emotion in the mind, right, we have to experience it in the body. And as soon as we drop into something like a breath shift from fight or flight back into rest and digest into the sympathetic and, mm. uh, and parasympathetic and just witness what's alive, what sensations are there, can I describe what they are? And if I can, like what emotion would I label that with? As soon as we get to that point and... Um, welcome that emotion in rather than resisting what we resist persists, that just begins to dissipate Mm. because all of a sudden you've allowed that instead of resisting it. Mm. Um, And so I've done that with so many men who talk about grief after losing friends to suicide. 
or going through the family court system and they realize very quickly how easy it is to feel what it's like to be anxious, to feel what it's like to, to grieve and to feel deep sadness, to feel what it's like to be angry. And then under, underneath that anger is usually disappointment and self and sadness. And mm. it begins to dissipate. And, you know, that I guess we have a decision in every moment. Do we integrate that past? Do we integrate that past that's attached to an emotion? Or do we continue to avoid through these coping mechanisms? Yeah, that's um, right. And, and I believe that's what society wants us to do, Lockie. They want us to keep drinking, consuming, all that. Uh, but really, it doesn't really heal the, 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 the problem. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's being able to sort of be aware of that. And and the stillness side of things, like I, I, I've been really blessed. We'll talk about my journey another time. But, you know, it was 10, 11 years ago, I sort of woke up and then decided that I needed to become uh, a little bit more conscious. Uh, so I, I was at the suicide state myself because I was so buggered and burnt oh, well. out. And um, then I started to explore my own being and that took me into, you know, my own wellness and then into yoga and meditation and uh, then becoming a teacher and uh, helping others through that. And um, when I go into a workplace and talk about my own journey, um, I, I go back from the start and I talk about where it got to for me. And once you get yep. to that stage, mate, everyone's in the, everyone in the room has got, you know, a connection with that. They can see it within themselves. And when I get to the other side of it to say where I've come to now, um, the, the conversation in the room just opens up. Like individuals start to talk about their own, own journeys and then you hear, I never knew that about you, mate. And all of a sudden you've got this compassion thing going on. And, uh, and that starts to bring people, um, rather than be divided and judgmental of each other, be more kind and compassionate and considerate of, of each other, which are the higher levels of consciousness, you know. Um, yep. And that's, that's, I had to go to the bottom of the pile to be able to sort of start to climb up the ladder again. And um, I'm so grateful that I did because I could have went the other way uh, like your, your mates did and, and that quite easily. But, um, you know, I had to go to the bottom to be able to realise uh, I needed to recreate myself or not so much recreate but relearn uh, um, about who I am as an individual because myself got lost in my teenage years because basically I was so unaware. I was just uh, brought into this uh, performance type mindset and you must do this, you must do that to get this, to get that um, so you can go boozing and you can get the girl and all that sort of stuff. But that took me to a point where I become miserable and, and, and really unconscious of my emotions. And they're the things that I probably needed to learn when I was a teenage boy that would have made me a more, a more um, aware adult that, um, that would not have had the, you know, the imbalanced mental health issues. And um, I just think we've got a, more of a responsibility um, to, to, to help guys. Uh, you know, I love nothing more than... Like I had, a, had, a, had a, um, a person in the yoga class this morning at 70 doing a first yoga class. That was a lady, but mind you, wow. that, that was, there was a dozen or more people there and half were men, half were women. And, and, and these, these, these guys are coming along, not only because it makes their body feel better, but also they're actually becoming a little bit more aware of who they actually are. You know, once they're, they're getting out of their mind and back to their center again. And, and I've done that in the workplace. I've done it in prisons. I've done it in, you know, schools, um, all that type of stuff. And the same result at the end of it, mate, is they come back to them. They come home again, back to themselves, you know. And if you can teach people how to do that 
regularly on a daily basis and their ability to be able to self-regulate becomes so much more profound. Their mental health improves, their physical health improves and, um, you know, employers that embrace that type of mentality, uh, you know, getting back to what I said before, uh, uh, are really going to to receive the benefits from it um, wholeheartedly because the employees are valued and they're respected and so forth. But, you know, it doesn't mean there needs to be a Band-Aid fix like you, for someone like you to come in, you know, once every year to talk about stuff and then it gets traction for a day or two and then you walk away and, and nothing gets done about it until they bring Lockie in again. But you need employers embracing this and this is where I see an opportunity for organisations to get people like you and I in to have catch-ups with employees regularly to do mentoring yep. so so you you get like a, a group of guys within an organization that you can that you can speak to once a week you know for half an hour hey going how's work this that and the other and how's your well-being and you know that that's so much more powerful than an app um yeah to, exactly to, to have that human contact yeah i mean I, I think with with the apps although they're they serve a purpose i think to a large extent we're trying to outsource uh, one of the human needs, right, which is that connection and that feeling of significance. Mm. So if you have space where someone's dedicated to speaking to you about how you are and listening to you intently without, you know, wanting to jump to a, a solution or to solve the problem and to make you feel like you're broken and need to be fixed, mm. that's going to go so much further than jumping on an app and, and checking it. Yeah, I, I agree. And yeah, you know, I'd love to uh, to talk more about that, but um, some of the the larger employers that I've worked with, um, they're they're sort of half keen to to do a mentoring program, and usually that sort of starts at the leadership um, side. But if you've got you know a workforce of guys out there, and you know they get they get matched up with a with a, a mentor or a coach that they can speak to once a week. Um, that's going to cost the employer a little bit, but I think the return will be significant because they're more engaged, they're cared for, the, the, um, the I suppose, uh, opportunity for accident um, inside the workplace but also outside the workplace is so much better because they're happier, healthier and more, more connected. And you know, I think this is, where, this is where we've got to get to um, with regards to managing people into the future because... Um, the old way doesn't work anymore, you know. We've we've changed so much as uh, as a society and, and 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 humanity. We've got so much distraction, stimulation, things going on in our lives, and the the model we've got about getting people so burnt out they've got to go to an EAP is wrong. I think we need yep. to actually have a model which is proactive rather than reactive, so we don't get people to that stage. Yeah, absolutely, bro. It's that's where everything's shifting um you know are you okay in all those organizations movember have done a, a good job up until now but um it's time for something new and it's time for you know proactive solutions yeah absolutely prehabilitation beats rehabilitation i've been saying that for 20 years you know nice um, and it's it's still still not getting getting listened to or heard but i just think it's it's inevitable that uh this approach is taken. We can't keep treating people as commodities. And uh, the workplace is such a great um, place to embrace this. So as a sporting organisation where there's mass, you know, to be able to really embrace a culture of 
uh, understanding, well-being, connection, all those sorts of things. I just think that's that's human nature, and that's what humans need. You know, we we see we see guys getting together and boozing, and and you know, there's all often a mask and a front put up when you're boozing. You know, mind you, but if you can do this uh, regularly um, without booze, talk openly, honestly, have companionship, and all those sorts of things, uh, and people feel like connected and supported, our mental health will improve considerably. You know, the um, the, the suicide rates will reduce. That's being proactive rather than reactive, I guess. Yeah, exactly, man. And that's that's something where we launch our EAP service. So we partnered with a, um, uh, a large WA clinical organisation here. Um, and we're launching our, the first FIFO-only EAP service where we're going to have ex-FIFO workers as the first point of contact, create content around them so that the people on those sites are, are used to seeing them and feel comfortable and send those people out to meet them, but also um, do, I guess, what they like to call it in this project is peer support circles or peer support groups, which are really just men's and women's circles. Mm, so, you know, it's exactly what you're talking about, having that space to open up, to share, to feel like you're not going to be judged and take one more step towards that that authentic self or yourself. Yeah, mate, that's so, so good to hear. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful to, to hear that because um, that is being proactive in its essence. And you've got a dedicated EAP that's actually like talking to people that are like-minded. You know, if if old mate that's a dump truck operator, you know, calls the average EAP, gets a woman uh, from Melbourne on the phone that's got no real understanding or connection or whatever about what he's actually um you know um doing as an individual or you know rather than just reading from a script actually like having some knowledge of what they're they're they're, they're going through i think is uh, is really valuable yeah i think that that's one of the big issues like one one of our clients that we're working with uh, it's been about six or seven months and they've gone from using the eap you now between two to four over the last over the last four or five years, between two to four outreach or calls per year. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's up like 50 plus at the moment in seven months and working with us. And what we're finding over and over again is that same issue, what you're talking about. They don't connect with the person on the other end of the phone. And number two, most of the time they go through to an admin initially and then they have to wait for like two weeks until they can speak to someone on the phone. And yeah. I mean, that's just not good enough. We're having people... You know, a lot of men take their lives um, after having reached out to these services because they they can't get through. They can't receive the support that they're looking for. And, you know, to be in that position, to reach out for support for a lot of those people, probably the first time that they've, you know, had the courage to do so, to not be held in that is, is such a slip up on our part as an industry. Yeah. Oh, mate, it's not just there. The whole health system is very similar. Like if someone, if you uh, lived where I lived and you had a, an issue with anxiety, depression or something, you would, at your worst, at your worst, you'd go to the local hospital who'd maybe give you some pills and send you home again, you know. Um, there's no real, um, in rural communities primarily, there's no real um thorough support mechanisms that can actually give people what they need when they need it and um um yeah geez it's so good to hear that you're doing this in the workplace lucky because um yeah that's that's tremendous to be able to have people that have walked the path 
um, is, is really, really profound. So I'm grateful to hear you say that. It's, um, yeah, I've been working in the mental health space since I've been up here and my role was made redundant at the end of the financial year because of the lack of funding, you know. Oh, wow. But there's such a, such a need uh, for it, but money was not um, not allocated for, for this. And, you know, I had some tremendous results with some of the people that I was working with because they 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 felt supported and they also had a pathway and someone to work with uh, work with them to understand you know them as individuals and understand their actual trauma and what they'd been through so they could become conscious of that and then and then move forward for the, with their lives and a lot of these guys had been in, in and out of jail and incarcerated for trauma that wasn't their fault and all they were doing was getting punished for uh, their behaviour, but no one actually like really observed why they were behaving that way in the first first place. A bit like you when you're a young fellow, you know, cheating on your girlfriend and doing all the wrong things. Yeah, exactly, man. And if we don't give people that opportunity to to witness that and to at least I guess give them some tools to to make the right decisions or make more empowered decisions, um, we're never going to change. Mm, awareness true. precedes change, and without that, man, there's no hope. Yeah, that's right. I agree. And the model that we've had is, is quite redundant. Um, the clinical approach is, is still, you know, really, really penal, I believe. And we've got to yeah. be really proactive. And when we're seeing behaviours, like that guy that stuck his finger up with you at that day and then he started crying later on, that, that's what we're seeing every day when we walk through life. You know, we, we see people that are behaving a certain way, but underneath that, You've got to come at that from a heart space because when you start to do that, then you start to realise that the individual is behaving a certain way because of something that's probably happened to them years ago. And we can't punish people for for being reactive, but if we can be proactive with them and then you know, give them compassion and love and kindness and support, then we actually give them a chance to say, well, shit, someone's actually listening to me now. I've got the ability to walk up the stairs rather than keep walking down them and um, you know, the workplace, uh, you, you know, guys going in, seven on, seven off rosters. You know, this, these are the emotions you're going to go through. When you're behaving like this, here's an intervention that you can actually deal with that um, proactively rather than reactively. So going to the fridge or to the bong or to a needle is reactive or doing some yoga or doing something which actually gives your nervous system uh, some nourishment is proactive. So being able to, to give those sorts of... Um, ideas to people i think is really important yeah absolutely man i feel like one one of the things that when i went through and changed our client journey is implementing small tools into everyday life like i don't i don't know if you've been to to site too much on on mine sites but you know at every mine site we go to there'll always be a toolbox which will be followed by some sort of lame stretches where people half-ass them and it's like, how do we implement tools that help people regulate their nervous system into their everyday workflow so that it becomes part of the day, so that it becomes habitual, so that when they want to do it in a point of crisis, it's something familiar, right? And so um, that's that's what I'm, I'm working on and, and hoping to implement and get peer-selected, peer, peer supporters to, to keep driving and implementing different breath works and different modalities, tips, tools, and tactics to implement throughout the day to help regulate on some level.
Yep, I can help you with that. <laughs> that, that that's that's my my sort of specialty specialty, I suppose. Um, yeah, to be able to understand when things are going on, what you can do to 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 slow the heart rate down um, through using the body to settle the mind, and then get back to balance again. So coming from six gear back to neutral again, so you can start again. You know, and um, yeah, yeah, we'll have a, a another conversation about that. But mate, that's that's really good to hear that you're actually thinking that way. Um, um, yeah, it's it's so important. Yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. The 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 reason that that that's come up, man, is because we. My favourite breath exercise, which I feel is super easy and um, uh, easy to remember, is seven eleven breathing. Is like seven seconds in, eleven out, like into the belly, expanding the diaphragm, but doing that three times. And I'll drop people into that before I tell my story, and then drop them into it after it, so they get to ground themselves a little bit and, and come back to to centre somewhat. And every time I do that, there'll be someone in the room who's like, "Whoa." I didn't know I could do that. And it's like, are you serious? How, like everyone that we connect with should know a basic tool to help them ground in or center in some way. And I guess that's, it's been one of the profound things that we've identified is how do we implement that so that people understand that there are tools that can help them change state. Yep. Absolutely, mate. Well, that, 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 that's proactive. Now, now the, the model is reactive. So society wants them to go and spend to get a beer or a Coke or whatever. But we've got yep. all these, these, these amazing abilities and capabilities within ourselves to self-regulate. We just haven't been taught how to do it. Exactly. Or, or, or like it looks like it's, it's, it's fun. So we, we, think, we think this sort of stuff's weird because this is what the Indians are doing and um, you know, <laughs> yep. other cultures, but like we've got the ability to do this ourselves, and it can actually make us feel like really, really good. And um, once we learn this sort of stuff, maybe I don't need to have those beers anymore, or maybe I don't need to um, to go and smoke a coat. I can sort of start to feel cool and balanced again, and then I'm not going to have um, a hangover from that, or I'm not going to have my body telling me that there's something out of balance here. You know, this is where we can really get smart and um, and start to re-educate ourselves because I quite often talk about it on this pod- podcast, we've just been educated to support the economy. We've never been really educated how, how to support ourselves at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah absolutely, bro. It's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? So we, you're lucky you're catching this out as, as you are like before you're 30 or at 30 because a lot of guys, and I was one of them, I was 37 before I started to, to make some... Um, some changes, Lockie, and um, you know, there's lots of lots of good things coming your way, mate, because you you've been able to turn your life around significantly. And um, um, from 28 to 30, like how how much you've actually learned over the last two years, I guess, compared to all the stuff that you had to go through to get to where you are now. But I believe that all that stuff happened to you for a reason, because it's actually made you a bit more. Um, determined and, and passionate about what you're doing uh, rather than going to university and doing a, a degree on something you've got the lived experience so you can you know help empower and inspire others yeah and I think it's um, it's really uh, since I guess since we started we, yeah, we started about two two and a bit years ago with the lived experience stuff and since we've started there's there's been a lot of uproar from um, the clinical field, especially over here around 
why how were they equipped or qualified to go in into mining companies and it's like man we're just doing our thing we're just doing our best to create connection so that people trust us enough to to be open and vulnerable and it's worked to the point now where we're having clinicians come on board and, you know, we've attracted a clinical organisation to partner with a lived experience organisation to create something in tandem. Oh, so I'm, I'm very grateful for, like, all the hardships we've been through and all the, all the judgement we've received um, and projection we've received in the last couple of years because it's ultimately led to this where we now, uh, on some level, get to, to work as a, a joint force as you know, some sort of mental health avengers. Agree. Oh, the clinical model, you know, is, is redundant in many ways and uh, uh, it's, it's great, very valuable, don't get me wrong, but uh, there needs to be more of a proactive approach now, you know, and, uh, and, and being able to, to uh, bring people in that have got the experience on the job and, and the, uh, the understanding and the awareness around that I think is so important. To be able to develop heart-based leaders in the workplace is another area which I believe is is, is definitely lacking mm. and, and needs some um, some work for sure. Uh, you know the guys that have done the MBAs and so forth, great, but there needs to be some form of education on how to understand a human, you know, and, and treat a human like a human, and and be able to be aware of their emotions and and understand them at a deeper level, and that's that's where. We can can start to change, you know, men and, and society and the way that we uh, approach life, you know, lead, leading into this decade and beyond. Because the way that we've sort of evolved um, over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years has been so significant compared to where we were before that. Um, I think life was a lot more simple then. You know, life's changed a hell of a lot, and we need to be able to adapt to that. You know, aware consciously, um, so we can be more uh, conscious, aware, compassionate human beings, males, men, uh, fathers, husbands, all those sorts of things. So we're not having all the issues that we're having, you know, we're experiencing now. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I guess with, with it in mind, there's this real big push, especially from the likes of BHP to go 50-50 men and women. And, you know, I love I love the idea of that for the fact that women are, are so much more grounded in the feminine and the emotional body and understanding their emotions and speaking about them. But within that, it's like they're coming into this male-dominated industry that's being branded as toxic to a certain extent. And so how do we make sure that those women that we're bringing in to make the industry 50-50 aren't just becoming hyper-masculine women mm. to ensure that they fit in and retain their role or give themselves an opportunity to progress because that's what I'm seeing as overly masculine women who are so far detached from their essence and their core that, you know, they have a lot of issues coming up around mental health and being able to express it when having the 50-50 workforce would be having women who are embodied in the feminine and understand what it's like to experience emotion and speak about it. That's really, really uh, good to hear, mate. It's it's great to to see you've got that awareness now because uh, I guess would, would would that be foreign to a lot of employees when you're having that conversation? What was that? Sorry. Would that be foreign to employees when you're having that conversation with them? Would that be what foreign? Would that would that seem? Oh, helpful? foreign. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that'd that'd be very very foreign. Like speaking about masculine, feminine, and um. 
I, I speaking along those lines in terms of energy is definitely not something you can speak to a corporation about unless it's a smaller corporation that's that's run or like family operated. Yep, yep, that's right. Oh, absolutely, and, and that's one thing we don't understand as males, our masculine and feminine energy, to be able to embrace both. Um, but yep. getting, getting back to what I said before about the leadership in organisations, that heart-based leadership will teach that. Um the, 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 the university model, um, that, that particular model, it's very rigid and it doesn't go anywhere near uh, understanding uh, the human at a deeper level, uh, I guess. And um, this is where we can start to crack the egg open more to be able to help, I, I believe, start with smaller medium enterprise so they can start embracing it and then hopefully start chipping away at a few larger ones so they can start embracing it and getting their... Their leaders educated on uh, on this, um, you know, rather than putting them through the the, the rigid structures and so forth that we're we're commonly um, known uh, that we're commonly working within and, and under. Um, there's a different way to do the things now, I believe, which are going to help uh, our mental health, um, which is such a significant thing. Rather than just having the band aid fix, have people in the workplace which are embracing it rather than. Uh, just um, just covering it up or, or giving the interventions when you know when uh, it's needed I suppose um, you know actually embrace well-being I think is such an important thing yeah yeah big time man so how can people get hold of you Lockie and look at some of the beautiful work you're doing and I believe you, you've obviously just won the National Men's Health Award for uh, the best content created with what you do so that's a significant thing mate so at 30. You really, really need to be proud of yourself to, uh, to, to have such a, an achievement. It's not why we do these things, but it's really nice to be recognised by your peers for, for, for what you're doing. So good work for that. Oh, thank you, my man. Uh, I guess where I spend most of my time, where I'm most active is LinkedIn. Yep. Uh, so Lockie Samuel, L-A-C-H-I-E Samuel. Uh, and then my podcast is called Open Up with Lockie Samuel, and that's on YouTube and all the podcast platforms. Great. So you have uh, you have people that are working in the in the FIFO industry come on to talk about their stories. No man, it's just a, a lived experience um, podcast that just started out interviewing people about their what it was that they were going through. Realised that very quickly that I was burning out because I was talking to people with trauma. Yep. So I shifted to, to speaking to people who had been through over, over uh, adversity and overcome it and had, you know, some something to share that was potent, powerful and impactful for people to take away and yep. implement in their life. So, Agreed. yeah, it's really just about stories of hope and overcoming adversity. Yeah, that, that's what I'm, I'm doing with this. It's, it's getting guys on that have got the lived experience to talk about their journey, but also those that have got uh, tools, skills knowledge on on certain areas of uh of life that uh that the people can get information from that they can maybe take away into their own life so that's really really good to hear Lockie. oh thank you man and and the organization you're working for is it happiness co is that right yeah so the organization is happiness co and what i'm running and partnered with them on is a fight for happiness mm, great and then that's just in wa is it in other states as well yeah, well, we just onboarded a client, um, Catercare, who have 3,000 people across Australia, so we'll be doing a lot of uh, work on the East Coast with them. Great. Yeah, good to hear, mate. Um, 
I, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful um, to hear that because I might be able to catch up with you when you're over here, possibly. So, yes, <laughs> so it could, 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 could work out well. Uh, I'm not that far. I'm in Agnes Water, which is sort of uh, halfway up the coast, but Mackay and uh, all those sites aren't that far away. Man, Eyes is uh, more when I say that far, it's probably a couple of thousand k's, but it's uh, <laughs> it's a lot closer than Perth, that's for sure. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> Thank you very much for your, your time, Lockie. Really grateful that we've gone pretty deep uh, into this and I'm really, really proud of you and you should be proud of yourself uh, for what you've done, um, for sharing your, your own journey so rawly. I think that's tremendous um, and lots of good things are coming your way, mate. So it's just a start for Lockie Samuel. Oh, thank you, brother. Big time. I really, really appreciate it, the opportunity and, and the, the love and acknowledgement, man. I'm receiving that absolutely. Guys, thanks so much for Lockie, uh, listening to Lockie and I. Um, we went really deep there in, in many ways. Him sharing his own story about what happened to him, that's that's uh, really courageous of him, but it just goes to show um, that these little things that happen in our childhood can just manifest and, and start to uh, really turn ugly, I suppose. Well, not so much ugly, but go into poor lifestyle behaviours, but... No one's really understanding what's going on underneath that. And uh, for Lockie um, to be able to turn that around at the age he is, I think, is so tremendous. And he's got such a gift from those experiences now to be able to help others to be able to unlock some of the traumas that have been going on in their own lives so they can start to um, do some good things with their lives and, and maybe do what Lockie's doing to be able to help others. It's, it's so important. So... If you'd like to reach out to me, uh, it is supportoutbackmind.com.au. The website's going to be updated this week, which is going to look awesome. Uh, it's outbackmind.com.au. But, um, yeah, hope to hear from you. Look forward to your feedback with regards to this one. Share it with uh, anyone that you think may get some value, particularly anyone that's uh, in FIFO or looking to do some FIFO. They might get some good uh, tips, tricks, and knowledge from this conversation. Thanks very much. Cheers.